Hey guys, it's Dr. Childs here and today I want to go over um, five reasons why hypothyroid patients can't lose weight. Okay, so the question I get all the time is, um, you know, I'm on thyroid medication, uh, I feel like I'm on a good dose, I'm on natural desiccated thyroid, I may even be on T3, so why can't I lose weight? And the main reason is because they're not addressing the other hormonal imbalances in their body. Okay, and you know this, you know if you fall into this category because You've tried other things, you've tried exercising, in fact, you might be exercising five, six times a, a week already, you might be doing high intensity stuff like Orange Theory or CrossFit, um, you're probably already restricting your calories down to 1,000 um, or less, maybe 1,500, somewhere around there, and your weight isn't budging at all. You may be able to keep it kind of at the same level, but it's not actually going down, and so you're, that's probably why you're searching around for things like this, okay? And so the main reason this happens is because you don't address the, the other hormone imbalances in your body. You have what I call thyroid tunnel vision okay so uh, I'm gonna go through several hormones and kind of what you uh, how to fix these things and, and what you can do to address them so number one is going to be increased insulin levels um, otherwise known as insulin resistance okay and insulin is a growth hormone in the body it makes fat cells bigger it makes cancer cells bigger it makes everything bigger um, and basically what it does is it tells your body to store anything that you eat calories or sh um, sugar whatever it is um, can put that right into your fat cells so if this is elevated um, at baseline, especially when you're fasting and you have a meal, what you're going to do is you're going to take that meal and you're going to put it right into fat. It doesn't matter if it's a 500 calorie meal or if you eat 500 calories per day. It's going to take whatever is there and put it into your fat cells. So you, you, can, you can lower your calories all you want. It doesn't matter. Your body's going to move that into your fat cells and, you, and your fat cells will get bigger. Okay. Um, it's a big deal. It causes diabetes, heart disease, leads to stroke. Uh, it doesn't necessarily cause these things, but certainly is correlated with them. Um, and every system in the body uh, has a response to insulin. So, um, and what it does is it damages them. Okay, so skin uh, ages prematurely, joints um, age prematurely, so you get degenerative joint disease. Um, you have a lot of other issues, especially other or organs, um, leads to chronic pain and inflammation. Not a good thing. Uh, the other issue with insulin levels is it, it tends to high levels of insulin tend to affect other um, hormones in the body. So what will happen is your testosterone will go down and your estrogen will go up uh, and that leads to estrogen dominance, okay? And in some women, what it can do is the exact opposite. So high, high insulin will lead to high testosterone uh, and high estrogen, which is uh, the, kind of on the PCOS spectrum, okay? So if you want to lose weight, you'll have to reverse this. Uh, and I've, I've kind of gone over here at the carbohydrate insulin hypothesis whereby uh, most people uh, kind of believe that uh, fattening carbohydrates, rice, pasta, things like that will increase insulin levels, which will then lead to obesity. Okay, and so I'm sure you're kind of aware of that. Uh, one thing you might not be aware of is this is kind of contrary to uh, conventional belief is that <clears throat> eating every few hours is somehow going to boost your metabolism and make you feel better. And I see hypothyroid patients doing this um, all the time and other patients as well. But what really happens is every time you have a meal or a snack, your insulin goes up because you've just put uh, food and energy into the body. Um, and then when you have your snack, it'll go up again. And then when you have lunch, it goes, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're spending less time with decreased insulin levels, which is a problem because you want to have, um, compare that to this graph down here, you want to have more time in the blue, which is decreased insulin levels, which is allowing your body to kind of burn that fat, okay? so. In this scenario, for patients who have insulin resistance, 
um, it's better to have less frequent meals okay than it is to have um, breakfast snack lunch snack dinner etc okay so that's uh, just an important point uh, to discuss there so what do you do to test for insulin resistance well the best thing to do is look for a fasting insulin, okay, and that should be less than five. Um, you can also check a two-hour postprandial insulin, that should be less than 30. Um, the easier way to kind of go about this is to look for your hemoglobin A1C, which is the average 90-day uh, blood sugar in your body. And so that should be less than 5.3. If it's above 5.7 or anything higher than that, you got, you got an issue and you have insulin resistance, okay? Fasting glucose is another thing. I, I get a little bit worried if it gets above 85. Uric acid should be less than 5. AST and ALT should both be less than 20. Um, fasting triglycerides should be less than 100 and HDL greater than 50 or 60, okay? And I want to talk a little bit about um, this curve here and what this means for you. Um, basically, uh, this curve explains why... Um, patients who have high insulin are unable to lose weight. And so what you can kind of see here is on the x-axis you have the amount of insulin that's present. And then on the y-axis you have the amount of fat breakdown that occurs um, you know, relative to this amount of insulin. So if you look here and insulin levels are high, so you come over here on the x-axis, go up. In the presence of insulin, fat burn is basically going to be zero. Okay, So it doesn't matter if there's a little bit or a lot. If it's present, fat burn decreases um, exponentially. So what happens is as you go more time in between meals, your insulin curve is gonna drop, 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 keep going, and then once it hits about five, then your fat burn is gonna shoot up, okay? And so what you have to do is you have to target treatment around lowering that insulin so that your fat burn will increase, okay? And that's one of the best ways to treat insulin resistance, um, which uh, we're gonna talk about a little bit later here. Um, so let's go on to uh, number two here. So second one is going to be increased cortisol levels, otherwise known as adrenal fatigue. So you guys know cortisol is a stress hormone. Uh, comes out when your body has undergone psychological stress, physical stress, trauma. Uh, basically anything that puts an increased demand on the body will lead to increased cortisol levels. Uh, the, another issue with cortisol is that it actually makes insulin resistance worse. So we're talking about how insulin is a problem. Well, cortisol can make that problem even worse. And now all of a sudden you have something like adrenal fatigue. On top of that, you have uh, insulin resistance as well. And the kind of prototypical response to that is belly fat. So if you have persistent belly fat, that's probably from a combination of both high cortisol and high insulin. And if you don't address one or if you only address one and not the other, it doesn't really matter what you do, um, you, you're not gonna get rid of that weight. Okay, so that's a big deal um, in terms of getting rid of that belly fat. So one of the, one of the big things about cortisol is that lack of sleep and, and high levels of stress causes increased insulin, which definitely leads, or I'm sorry, increased uh, um, cortisol, which causes increased insulin, which uh, makes you gain weight and makes you um, fat otherwise. Uh, and cortisol is another big, uh, big deal because it works in tandem with thyroid hormone to help produce normal metabolism. So what will happen is when cortisol uh, gets dysregulated, it will lead to hypothyroidism, which will then lead to further lowering your metabolism and weight gain. So you can kind of see here that we're painting a picture where all of these hormones kind of play together um, to produce uh, basically your metabolism and, and what your weight looks like. And I'm actually kind of showing you here, this one is my, uh, this is a urinary cortisol um, a test for throughout the day. I'm using the Dutch, uh, which is dried urine for dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. And this is uh, my test uh, right after residency. You can see um, I definitely had adrenal fatigue at that time. I've since fixed that issue, but this is kind of what it looks like. So you'll see the elevated cortisol um, throughout the day, and it depends on when that happens, okay? 
Um, so, so what do you do? How do you test for it? Um, basically, I, I'll recommend either salivary or urinary cortisol um, and cortisone, which I think is a big deal. If you're going to test uh, cortisol levels, you absolutely want to check thyroid levels. So that would be something like uh, TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, uh, TPO antibodies, um, the thyroglobulin antibodies, and sex hormone binding globulin. Those are the, the basis uh, the basic thyroid test that you have to get if you want to look at cortisol. Never look at one hormone without the other is basically what I'm saying here. And then here's a study that I kind of included here which shows that uh, elevated TSH are associated with elevated cortisol levels. And so you guys know that high TSH is is a, a early indicator of hypothyroidism. And so as cortisol increases, your TSH increases. Okay, and so that's why almost every single hypothyroid patient that I've seen and treated also has adrenal fatigue as a result of that okay and that's also part of the reason why these patients have issues with weight gain and I don't I mean you can just kind of think back to your treatment here when was the last time you looked at cortisol when was the last time you looked at thyroid together they should never really be looked at in isolation because they affect each other okay um, I included number three here because the issue is certainly low thyroid can cause weight gain there's, there's no question about that um, the reason I've included it here is because despite the fact that you guys know you have hypothyroidism, how many of you are actually being treated appropriately? And the answer to that is probably very few of you. Um, unless you are on a combination of uh, natural desiccated thyroid plus T3 or T4 plus T3 or have T3 in your medication in, in some way, you're probably being undertreated. Okay. And so that's why I've included this here. So obviously you guys know we have an epidem epidemic of hypothyroidism that's being undertreated and underdiagnosed the prevalence of which is probably about one in seven um, in the United States. Uh, you guys know all of the reasons why um, the thyroid is, is so crucial. The one I want to talk about real quick and mention is that it controls the metabolism of every cell in your body. So low thyroid hormone is going to lead to low metabolism, which is going to lead to, to weight gain. And as we've already mentioned, the low, low thyroid can affect cortisol levels and cortisol can affect insulin. So this is kind of all going round and round in circles circles here. One of the biggest issues is that doctors seem to be very scared of supplementing with thyroid hormone um, appropriately. They're not afraid to give you 100 or 200 units of insulin, which is, will make you gain weight. Every doctor knows putting someone on insulin causes weight gain immediately. And yet they're, they're you know, concerned about giving you a little bit of T3. So that's just sort of, that's just uh, how doctors have been trained um, and, and kind of the, the reality of the situation there. Uh, the, other, the other big problem is that the thyroid system gets damaged by chronic recurrent yo-yo dieting, which is what we have been taught over the last 30, 40 years is how you lose weight. So you drop your calories, um, you exercise more, and that's going to cause you know, a short-term weight loss. However, that's going to cause long-term metabolic damage. Okay? And if, so if you guys have seen the Biggest Loser study, you know this is definitely true. So the, that study showed that six years after um, the Biggest Loser contestants uh, went through the calorie restriction and the intense exercise like eight hours a day, and I think it was 12 or 1,400 calories per day. Um, they had metabolic damage, meaning their basal metabolic rate was reduced six years after the fact, which is, which is profound, right? Um, and that was the reason why, that's the main reason why patients who undergo this type of weight loss, you know, 99% of the time fail and the weight comes back later. All right, and then what I've done here is I've included some... Um, a thyroid test from a patient of mine. So this is a very typical presentation for patients that you see here, the thyroxine free and the triiodothyronine free. The thyroxine is T4 and this is T3. So the T4 free, which is what you want to look at, look at the reference range here. It's, so the result is 0.95. What I'm looking at here is the results. And then the reference range is over here. So 0.95 is this patient's result and the low end of the reference range is 0.89. So this person's probably in like the bottom 5%, you know, but 
quote unquote normal. And then the T3 is 2.5, the low end of the reference range is 2.3, okay? So this is where a lot of patients fall um, and, and they're definitely hypothyroid when they fall into these ranges, okay? These are just the symptoms. Um, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is that the thyroid affects every, every organ, every system, and basically every cell in the body has a thyroid receptor. So your symptoms could be all over the place from hair loss to weight gain to um, palpitations to um, nail changes, uh, skin changes, etc. kind of all over the place. So I'm not going to go over everything there. Um, testing for hypothyroidism. I have another video that kind of goes over extensively how to do that, um, but we'll, we'll briefly go over here. So these are kind of the basic tests that I recommend every patient who is being tested for hypothyroidism undergo so that they actually look at this adequately, okay? So number one, TSH, this is what the majority of doctors do order, uh, but they don't pay a lot of attention to it. So TSH, or I'm sorry, they, they put all of their attention on this when they shouldn't, and they don't order any of the other tests. So real quick, TSH is important, but you shouldn't base all your treatment on it. It should be less than two. Um, if it's greater than two, in my opinion, then that's an issue automatically, and that's enough for me to treat a patient. But less than two doesn't mean that it's completely normal, which is what a lot of people think. So free T3 and free T4, in the presence of not being treated, I do recommend that this is in the upper one-third or so of the reference range. Reverse T3, which is a, basically an anti-thyroid metabolite, so it sits on and blocks the cellular receptor for free T3. This should be as low as possible, okay? So less than 15. Thyroid antibodies should basically be non-existent, um, less than 30, depending on the reference range you're using. Sex hormone binding globulin, which very few um, physicians are ordering here, but what it does is it's a marker for how much thyroid hormone um, is reaching and activating the liver. So in females, that should be 70 to 80. For males, that should be around 30. Just kind of depends on the situation. If a woman is on uh, breast control, or I'm sorry, if they're on oral contraceptives, then that's going to change this con considerably. Iron studies are also important. So ferritin, I like to see in the 70 to 80 range, TIBC and serum iron, at least in the mid-range to kind of um, uh, one-third range or, or upper one-third range or so, like lower end of that spectrum. Um, and then... Let's see, let's go on to the next one here. Another big one is high levels of estrogen, um, otherwise known as estrogen dominance. Okay, and so estrogen is gonna cause weight gain in the hips, butt, and thigh area. Um, compare that to insulin, which is predominantly in the belly, cortisol, which is predominantly in the belly. Thyroid, uh, hypothyroidism can cause weight gain kind of all over the body um, versus estrogen, which predominantly causes the weight gain in the hips, um, butt, and thighs area, sometimes in the upper arms as well in some women. So um, basically there's three causes of this. You can have too much estrogen, which is really easy to find in the blood because you just order an estradiol level and it'll be, it'll be really high. You can actually have normal estrogen, but low progesterone. So if you don't look at that ratio, you'll never really figure it out. And then you can have normal estrogen and progesterone, but too many xenoestrogens, okay? And that comes from the environment. That uh, comes from the kind of things that we come into contact with, flame, flame retardants, plastics, things like that. So when you come into contact with, the, with these things, you touch them, they get absorbed transdermally. You might even be consuming them after you um, eat out of a plastic um, container of some sort, and a little bit's getting in your body. And some people will get rid of those things better than others to their liver. If you have liver issues, you're not going to do it quite as much. So it just, it just kind of depends on the person there, but that's one that a lot of people miss. So you can have normal blood tests, but still have estrogen-dominant symptoms, okay? Um, probably uh, the best way to think of this is that progesterone and estrogen are yin and yang, meaning uh, they do the exact opposites of one another, okay? So that's why you need the balance to them. If you have too much estrogen, you're gonna have symptoms like weight gain, which is a big deal for a lot of women, PMS-like symptoms, uh, PMDD, you'll have breast tenderness, um, especially around your cycle or just any time throughout the month, PCOS, fibrocystic breast disease, uterine fibroids, et cetera. So those are all symptoms of, of estrogen dominance. 
Um, the, I included this graph here to explain why so many women um, get estrogen dominant symptoms and what you can do about it. So if you look at the curve here of estrogen, so this top line is estrogen, okay, and you'll see it, uh, it's different than the progesterone curve, which is down here. So over time, estrogen kind of peaks up until the 30s and then it starts to drop, but it drops, you know, slowly at a steady rate. Now compare that to progesterone here, this, dot, this dashed line here. So progesterone kind of keeps pace with estrogen. You can see that they're very similar here up until about age 35. And you'll notice the slope of progesterone plummets significantly. Okay, So the slope is, uh, the decrease is much more uh, sharp than the estrogen curve is, which leads to a relative um, imbalance between estrogen and progesterone without any influence um, whatsoever. So starting from age 35, you might start to develop uh, estrogen dominant symptoms and that can kind of lead to the increased risk of breast cancer um, and all, some of these other symptoms that we've talked about here okay and so from age 35 all the way up to 50 it's not a bad idea to at least consider progesterone in here as long as you order the serum test okay so that's why I included that here um, this is just a picture that you know talks about some of the the symptoms of estrogen dominance that you want to avoid mood swings weight gain etc we've, we've talked about all these things um, testing is is probably something worth touching on here. Uh, it's best to order these things in the urine if you can. Uh, the reason is because you get the metabolites. So when we refer to estrogen, there is no estrogen in the body, okay? That, that is a broad term to include estradiol, estrone, and estriol, all right? There's, there's no blood test for estrogen. It's usually estradiol. People just refer to it as, as estrogen. But more important than that, you really need to look at the metabolism of estrogen and how it gets broken down in the body, okay? So here's estrone up here, here's estradiol, and here's um, estrone. So these are the different types of estrogens in the body. Now you can see here that certain metabolites of estrone are actually um, somewhat protective uh, to the body and sort of have an anti-cancer, anti-uterine uh, cancer, breast cancer sort of effect on the body versus other ones can cause can lead to um, DNA damage and they can be a little more um, potent at the cellular receptor. So you want the pathway to go down this way, okay, to the 2-hydroxyestrone. You don't want it to necessarily go to the 4-hydroxy or the 16-hydroxy. So what you need to do is you can order all these metabolites in the urine and see how is somebody actually getting rid of estrogen. And this can tell you, okay, well, let's say this person has normal levels of estrogen. Um, however, however, they are not metabolizing it through this protective pathway. Okay, this, this is not the case in this patient. This patient is metabolizing it down um, through this pathway. In fact, let me just kind of explain this to you. So this, this is a patient who has high levels of estrone, high levels of estradiol, and high levels of estriol. And you can see here at first glance, you're like, oh, this is great because this person is metabolizing it, uh, a lot of this down this 2-hydroxy pathway. But the problem here is they're not methylating it and getting rid of the body. So even though this patient has high estrogen levels, even though they are metabolizing it down the correct pathway, due to a methylation issue, they're not eliminating it from the liver. So it's, it's like jammed up in, in this uh, process here, and that, leads to, that can lead to a lot of problems for this patient, and that's why they had estrogen-dominant symptoms. So the issue here is not estrogen. The issue is actually methylation. So that's the kind of value you can get by looking at these things, but it really just depends. Um, when you look at estrogen, or when you look at progesterone, it's good to look at progesterone in the serum, but you can also, if you're gonna look at it in the urine, you have to look at pregnant dial. That's a little advanced for this, so I'm not gonna go over it too much here. Um, the last one is testosterone levels, which is a big deal for women as well as men. Um, you know, women or men, women get mad at men all the time. When I treat a husband-wife combo, um, the husband will come in, I'll give him some testosterone, I'll fix up some of his other hormones and he'll lose 20, 30 pounds in, you know, six to eight weeks and the woman may lose 10 or 15. And that's just kind of the way that it goes uh, with men and because their testosterone can really boost their metabolism, um, undo some of the insulin resistance that's there and they just respond very well as they increase muscle mass. Um, 
testosterone, just like uh, it does for men and women, it can build lean muscle mass, it causes um, fat burn to increase, it controls libido and sex drive. So in these women who are hypothyroid, they have high levels of insulin, low levels of thyroid, high levels of cortisol, probably estrogen dominance, then low testosterone, okay? And all of these things, I mean, this is just kind of the, the basic scenario that I see, and almost all of these things are ignored or not even tested for in most patients, all right? And so one of the reasons I'm bringing all this up is because testosterone is has a huge impact on libido. So that's one of the best things you can do for a patient is um, give them some testosterone, especially if they're low, and that'll improve their weight loss, it'll improve their libido, it'll increase sex drive, et cetera, it'll help with a lot of these things. Another big deal is uh, low testosterone leads to decreased mood and decreased uh, well-being. So it's good to replace these things when you can. Uh, testing, is, testing is actually not too bad for testosterone. It's a lot less, uh, complex than testing for estrogen. So what I'll do is you can look in the serum and you can check free and total testosterone levels. Um, in certain cases, especially with like the PCOS type of syndromes, you will want to look at the testosterone metabolism. Okay. And so what you can see here is androstenedione goes to testosterone and then via the 5-alpha or 5-beta pathways, it can lead to more potent androgens or less potent androgens. So PCOS, what you'll see is you'll see a lot of 5-alpha um, activity here, which will lead to dihydrotestosterone, and that leads to a lot of the um, symptoms of PCOS that, that women get. So you can see this patient, um, she had PCOS, and this is what was going on with her. So one of the treatments for this is give somebody a lot of zinc, give them salt palmetto, and that'll shift the metabolism from 5-alpha to 5-beta. So you can see that by really targeting some of these issues, you can get down to the, the root problem and actually help patients um, as opposed to just you know doing shotgun-type therapies. Um, so, what, so that's what I'm going to leave it at. Uh, remember, if you have hypothyroidism and you're trying to lose weight, this is actually how you do it, okay? There's no magic to it. It's not about you know, some secret that you're missing out there where you need to, you know, eat this food to suddenly give you more selenium or zinc or whatever it is. Um, it really is just looking at the, the hormones, getting them on track, and this will lead to long-lasting weight loss, okay? And I've done it so many times. I don't have any of the, the reviews and stuff up here, but this is really what a comprehensive weight loss plan looks like. Um, leave any comments or questions you have below. I know this is a lot of information. I went over it really fast, um, but this is, the, this is the kind of stuff that you want to do if you want to really lose weight. All right, thanks, guys.